Now you can turn in your Bibles again to Psalm 28. We're, uh, we're making our way through um, the Psalms in the summer, summer of the Psalms, and uh, we are at uh, chapter 28 now. We're going to get through chapter 30, not today, don't worry, it's okay, through chapter 30 uh, this summer, and uh, that will end with chapter 30 on uh, September 5th. Now, September 5th is going to be a celebration Sunday, uh, one service at 10 o'clock, or 10.30, one service at 10.30, um, either here or there, we'll figure that out based on weather and smoke, but as of, as of now, it's probably going to be right here, and we'll fellowship afterwards with uh, hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff in the fellowship hall. So um, we'll just let you know about that. Mark that on your calendar. Um, okay, so we're in, Psalm, we're in Psalm 28 and working our way through the psalm. This psalm, uh, I, I titled the sermon, Confidence in the Lord. And as David, as David prays and as David praises, as David uh, offers these, these laments, that's what they are, a lot of these. And I, I want to remind you as we start this, before we actually get into this text, that a lot of the psalms are a lament, right? They're, they're a grieving. They're like, I, I, God, I need to share my heart and my burden and my soul with you. I'm really struggling in some way. Something's going on that, that I just, I'm, I'm desperate and I, I need you, right? And, and one of those things that we've learned, and I've talked about this often, that even, even as we go through the psalms, what we see is, is a lament saying, God, I, this is going on. But then there's a transition, right? The transition is, is that even though this might be happening, I will still, right? Remember that? I will still... Praise the Lord. I'll still rely or trust in the God of my salvation, the, the rock that I have. So David has that, and it's, so it's okay for us to go and grieve and, and pour out our heart, but the attitude of faith in a Christ follower is something that says, even though this is happening, yet I will, or I still will, trust in the God of my salvation. I will still rest on the rock that is stronger than I am. So that, that's a, a pattern we see in the Psalms. We'll see that here today too. Uh, but there, there's a lot of confidence. Even though things are going on around him, there's a lot of confidence that he has in the Lord. So I hope as we go through this that you'll see uh, how you and I can be confident and, and that we actually have a confidence because of our faith in Christ. And what that confidence then produces in us is this, this pattern, this cycle uh, that we'll see uh, today through these three points. So confidence in the Lord. I'm going to pray over the text. I'll read it and then we'll break it apart. Father, we, we stop now again just to pause in prayer. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds right now, that you help us to be receptive to your word. God, we know it's living and active. God, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we, we ask it to do that. We ask you to do that now. That, God, we want to change. We want to be different than we were when we came in. So help us to, to be receptive. Help us to be repentant when, God, your word convicts us of sin, that we would move to a place of obedience and repentance of faithfulness to you, that we would honor you and we would glorify you and we would boast about you, the rock of our salvation. We thank you and we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. So we're at Psalm chapter 28. I need to turn there in my own Bible. Psalm 28, and we're going to read the entire passage. It's nine verses. Lord, I call to you my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. Repay them according to what they have done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the, or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and not rebuild them. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks 
to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them, and carry them forever. All right. So we're going to look at uh, David's confidence in the Lord as we look at Psalm 28. We'll now break that apart. Uh, As we look at confidence in the Lord, we see, number one, he has confidence in the Lord in prayer. As he prays, he has confidence in the Lord in prayer. Uh, Look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to kind of break this apart and see what this looks like. Verse 1, really important, the start of this passage. He says, Lord, I call to you, what do you say? My rock. I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. Uh, if you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Now listen, just, we'll start there. He says, I call to you, my rock. And, and we know if we look at the scriptures and we look at David crying out to God, that really God was his rock. And it was the rock because he was, he was a rescuer, a support, a strength that, he, that he only had in God. So when he says, I call to you, my God, he is saying, I'm calling to you because you're the only way. You're the only one. You're the only strength that I have. This is the only place I can go. I cannot put my strength, I can't put my, my, my chips in any other basket. It's all in with you. So when he says the next thing, he says, do not be deaf to me, or if you remain silent, he's not wondering if God's going to be deaf. He's not wondering if God's going to remain silent. He knows that he's not. And in fact, in Isaiah 59, I want to read a passage to you. Uh, he, he knows this, he understands. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Indeed, like for sure, right? Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save. That's a truth. That's a promise. It's not too weak to save. And his ear is not too deaf to hear. David knows this. David relies on this. He trusts that God is mighty to save. He's not too weak to save. He can do it. It's his strength. He's my rock. He has confidence in God. He also knows that his ear is not too deaf to hear. But, right, there's a but here. He goes on and says, but your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. See, David does know that there is a time when God won't listen, and it's very important for us to get this, and he goes on and talks about uh, to the people he, God won't listen to. And so listen to these, these things. In, in verse one, 1, he says, the one's going down to the pit. Or verse 3, uh, the wicked. You drag me away like the wicked or, or the evildoers or those with malice in their heart. And it's interesting he describes them that way. Because he could say, oh, all those people that are bad, bad people, right? They do bad things. But what he goes back to at the core is what? It's not just the things they do that's, that are wrong. The core of what people do comes from where? The heart. It's the heart, right? So David knows their hearts are what are far from God. Their hearts are the things that are, that are wicked, and, and their hearts are filled with malice. And out of the overflow of the heart, we act and we behave. Everything starts from the heart. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, this idea of faith and works. I work, my, my actions show what's in my heart, right? And, and reveal what's in my heart. And the Lord knows the heart. And he goes on to say, repay them according to what they've done. There's this justice of God involved that he sees here. So let's talk about this. It, it, remaining silent. The idea of, of he's not too, his ears are not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from God. I think there's two main ways we can look at this for, for iniquities separating us from God, God not hearing. One is this. God created us to be with him, to be objects of his love, and that, that he would be the object of our greatest affection and worship. But mankind sinned. And in, in mankind's sin, sin in the world, death into the world, and separation from God occurred. 
Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. They could not be in the presence of God. Well, why? Why does this matter? Because God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous, and God is pure. Now listen, I, I, I try to get this, and I try to help you get this and understand it, and why this is so important. And when, later on, we're going to see this too. We, we want a certain God or Jesus that's just kind of like hunky-dory with everything that's going on. He understands. It's, it's going to be okay. He'll let everyone in. That's not God. If God is pure, and God is holy, and God is righteous, and then God has to be just, which means People, he will never be unfair, which means you and I will get what we deserve, which scares us, and, 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 and it should scare us and lead us to a place of repentance and faith in him. But oftentimes it scares us to a place of, I'm going to believe something different because I can't, I can't believe that. I'll just believe that I'll be okay and he'll accept me because I'm going to try real hard. And you will stand one day before God and have to answer for your own sin, and God will have to be fair with your sin which means he will have to be just, and he will justly punish sin. The wages of sin is death. So how did a holy, pure, perfect, righteous God deal with that? In the most loving way he could, and in the most just way he could. He sent his one and only son. He sent, he sent himself, God in the flesh, took on flesh, so that he could come and live a perfect life, not a life where he, he sinned and had to pay for his own sin, live a perfect life. So at the end of that life, he offered himself as an atonement or as a sacrifice, as, as a payment for sin. He offered himself as a payment for your sin and for my sin. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the scriptures say that the wrath of God was placed on him. And because he was perfect and because he was God in the flesh, the, God's wrath was satisfied on Christ, in Christ, through Christ, for you and I. That if we would come to him in faith and trust in him, God's satisfied wrath would then be imputed, that, that, that cleanliness, that righteousness would then be imputed onto us, and we would be forgiven because the payment had been made. And we trusted and said, yeah, I want that. Now, if we don't come to him in faith, which he offers, he said, I, I, here's the way. I'm the rescue. Come to me. I'm, I'll be the rock. I'll be your salvation. Come to me and find life. But many people say, nope. And they reject Christ. And they push him away and say, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be good enough. I, I don't want to believe in that. I don't want to trust in that. I'll do my own thing. Then you will stand before God without the righteousness of Christ covering you without the, the wrath of God having been satisfied for you on Jesus, but you will stand before God, and the wrath of God will then have to be poured out on you. I know that's scary, huh? We don't like to talk about that. That's like hellfire and brimstone. We can't be saying those things. But God is rich in mercy and rich in love. And He's pursuing you with the Son, and He paid for you with the Son's blood. And the Son rose again, proving He was God, conquering death and sin once and for all, so that you and I who have faith in Him would not be separated from God any longer, but we would be now friends of God, forgiven by God, and able to be with Him forever, and forever in His presence. So, so we know that iniquities separate us from the fellowship of God. And for the people who haven't trusted in, in God as Savior, who haven't come to Him in faith, they, they might throw a prayer up here and there, and they might try something out, but God's like, I don't have to listen to that. I, I mean, I, you're, you're separated from me. Well, how else does it apply. Well, it also applies for you and I who have come to faith in Christ. I think there are lots of times in our life that we, we still, in the flesh, we, we struggle. 
we still struggle with certain sin and certain rebellion and certain, certain things in our life that we don't want to really deal with yet or, or take to God. We say it's a problem, but we continue to do it. That kind of sin separates us from God. It separates us from fellowship with God. Whether it's blatant rebellion as far as sinning, or it's not doing what He's asked us to do. It's, it's acts of omission or sins of omission. I talked about it in the first service. You know, there's so many people I talk to that are like, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I've got Jesus. And, and I, I, what do I do now? And I say, well, Scripture says follow Him in obedience and, and be baptized. Show the world. Like, you've made this personal decision. Now show the world that you've identified with Christ so they can celebrate with you and that you're not ashamed of Jesus. Well, I don't know. I'm scared about that. I, I don't know yet. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. And that's a, I mean, you got to think about it. You got to really do it for your reasons, for, for, well, for Christian reasons, but you got to do it under your conviction. But they ask, well, what, what else can I do? I'm like, oh, that's what Jesus asked you to do. It sounds like you don't want to do what Jesus asked you to do. You see how we, how we do that? Like, oh, well, let me have my kids do that with me, right? Hey, hey, what can I do to earn some money? Well, you can, you can do this. Yeah, is there anything else I can do to earn money? Well, start there. Do, just, just go and do that. So for you and I, we, we need to be obedient. We, we aren't obedient to try to earn God's favor. We're obedient because he's given us forgiveness. We've trusted him in faith. He's cleansed us. And now we want to just be in right relationship and standing and fellowship with God. We want to be able to talk. See, and then, see, when my kids, when my kids disobey, or I thought, I think about when my, my own heart, when I was a teenager, right, or a young, a young adult, when I might disobey or have a little beef with my dad or my mom, it, it, it kind of separated that fellowship, right? I, it, it's, it scarred and kind of made some friction in those relationships where I may not go and talk to them because I know, I know what they're going to want to talk about. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. My kids do the same thing, right? They, they, they know, daddy said, this is what we need to do. And they disappear. The next time they come talk to me, I'm going to speak about that. So they're going to try to avoid talking to me as long as possible. We're the same way with God. God said something. God, God says, I want you to deal with something. And, and we don't. And we kind of run away and we don't talk to him. And we're like, yeah, maybe in a week or two, I'll get back to you. God, God wants to listen to our prayers, but he wants our heart. He wants our obedience. Our iniquities separate us there. But David had a confidence. He said, God, I, I, I'm confident that my heart is not like that. And we'll see that in a few minutes. My heart is not that way. I, I want to actually come to you and, and trust in you. you. I have confidence in you. He's comparing himself to the ungodly, though. If his prayer goes unanswered, he will not appear any different, right? And it, he knows his prayers aren't unanswered. He knows his, God does have a relationship, and he does have a relationship with God. He doesn't want to be like the rest of the world. He says, I'm different. I, I have a God that's, that's in heaven. And he even cries out to him. He says, listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry. Like, that, that's not what the normal world does. He's pleading when I cry for help, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. This is an attitude, a posture of the heart that says, God, I, I just want you. I'm going to face myself toward you and towards your presence. I'm going to reach out for you, begging for you, because that's all I need, and that's all that will help. And he's confident about that in prayer. He's not, he's not a beggar like, I just hope I get something. He's not flying a sign. He's like, I'm just going to Jesus. I'm going to the Lord because he is my everything, and he will provide for me. He says, God, repay them, those who with wicked hearts, by what they, they have done according to their evil deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give back to them what they deserve because they do not consider. Now, this is important. He talked about those who with malice in their heart, and that's connected down here to they do not consider. Because of malice in their heart or unbelief or a lack of faith or there's just too much pride, there's no humility there, they then do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands. They say oh, it's, that, that means nothing to them. They might 
lip service it a little bit, but it means nothing to them. The work of God's hands, what the Lord has done. And therefore, he's confident, David is, that God will tear them down and not rebuild them. Right? There's, there's a lack of fellowship to be had there because of sin in the world. So what does this confident posture look like? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But there's, there's, I think in this grouping of texts, verses 1 through 5, we're talking about a confidence David has in prayer. I think as he prays, he's confident about three things. There's subpoints here, right? The first thing we see is he's confident that God is his rock. That God, you are my rock, you are my stability, I'm going to trust in you, my hope is there. He's also confident that God looks at the heart. See, when we pray, he's, he's confident about that. See, and that's so important. I mean, that, that really convicts me. I hope it convicts you too. When I pray to God, I, I might just, uh, la, 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 pray. God's wanting the heart. He's looking right here. I want my prayers to come from the heart. So God, he knows God looks at the heart. He's also confident that God will be just, that God will act justly, and he will act fairly. He will be God. Listen, if, if God didn't act justly, he would not be a fair God. He, and that's no God I want, right? That's no, God, that's no God at all. We want a God who is absolute in alignment with his, his character and nature, or nature of God, and does not overlook sin. It's so amazing how he's done that, though, right? He could be a God that's just, I'm going to judge sin. And, and all of us, by the way, are in the same boat. We're all toast. None of us can stand. But he's rich in mercy. He's like, you know what? I need to carry out justice. I'll, ta- I'll take the penalty, right? He took it upon himself. Justice was still served and satisfied on Christ. Amazing, amazing. So now what does is, what is this posture look like. Well, we see him raising his hands up. We see him facing the temple like, God, I need you. But that posture is a, is a humble place from the heart. And it, it's, it's seen in, the, in Matthew in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus instructs us, how should we pray? Here's what it says in, in Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. There's four things we see here. Our Father in heaven. So the attitude of our heart goes towards, hey, he's our Father in heaven. He's, he's a good Father. He's, he's going to treat us like a father should treat us. We can approach him like a father. But he's also in heaven. And, and so he, he's, he has some authority here and some power and, and, and all the riches of glory with him. And then we say, our father, hallowed be your name, or, or holy is your name, or your name is to be revered as holy. So he's attributing, again, to God, God's character. God, you are a father. I can approach you like a father, but, but don't, don't get, let me get fooled here. You are still holy. You are still pure. You are still perfect. You are the God of the universe, and I answer only to you. That's so important for a posture of prayer. When we, when we confidently come before God, we come to Him as Father, knowing exactly who He is and, and who we are in relationship to Him. And then he, then he goes, the prayer goes on. He says, pray this way, that your, that your name be honored as holy. It says, your kingdom come. And what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come. What does that mean? That posture of confident prayer, what should that mean? It means that you and I take off our shield, our badge, our family crest, and, and, and get ourselves off our little mini kingdom throne, and actually just put that in the burn pile, and we yield ourselves and our heart and all of our allegiance to his kingdom. And we say, God, your kingdom is the priority of my life now. I'm going to, to fight for your kingdom. I'm going to pray for your kingdom. I'm going to serve in your kingdom. I'm going to do what you want me to do as a, as a servant of your kingdom. It's aligning and getting our, our, our priorities in line with his. And that's what David wanted from his heart. God, I, I want what you want. I want to serve your kingdom, your interests, not my own. It's hard to pray that way, isn't it? 
And then he says, your will be done. He yields himself that way. And, and Hoyt had a great message, this uh, the teaching on Wednesday night about prayer and, and out of 1 John and talking about how, how we're to pray. And we pray in God's will and for God's will. And, and this is the same thing. God, your will be done. We come to him like Christ did in Gethsemane and praying, God, if there's any way this cup be removed, that sounds good, but not my will be done, your will be done. We can come to him and petition him, and at the end of the day, at the end of the prayer, confidently saying, you know what, I'm going to yield myself here. Even if my want, my desire, my request isn't quite what you had in mind, that's okay. What you say yes to, what you say no to, what you say go to, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to, to bow my heart and bow my will to your will. And it's interesting, he says, as it is in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of different weird mumbo-jumbo philosophies about this. But, but here's what we need to know. God's will is being perfectly played out every day in heaven right now. Every day, God's will happens. Here, not so much. So for you and I, the posture really is, God, I want to make it start with me. I want your will to be done in my life, in my heart, in my relationship, in my job, in my family, in my sphere, how it is being played out in heaven. Knowing that it won't be fully realized here, but it will be fully realized there. When you make a new heaven and a new earth, it will be fully realized. But I seek his will right now, and I yield to his will right now. That's the posture we have. It's this posture of yielding. It's a posture of, of need. It's a posture of reliance. It's, it's, it's a heart that says there's nowhere else to go, especially not to my own strength or my own will. Spurgeon says this. He says, we stretch out empty hands because we are beggars, and we lift them up because we seek only what our Father in heaven can supply. And that's the truth. That's the posture of prayer. So he's confident in his prayer. Number two, he's confident, we see, in his praise. He's confident in his praise. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I'm helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks to him with my song. This is, this is a heart of confident praise. And, and we see confidence in two different ways here as well. There's, in praise, we see that the verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, for He has what? Heard the sound of my pleading. When we confidently praise Him, we're praising Him because, God, you, You've heard my prayer, and you, You're going to answer my prayer, and I'm going to trust You with the answer. And then it says in verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. So what do we have in this praise? As we, as we offer confident praise to God, what are we confident about? He's confident that He guards our hearts and our minds. That He will guard our hearts and our minds. And because He guards our hearts and our minds, we can offer confident praise to Him. Let's read the rest of the verse here. Verse 7, The Lord is what? My strength and my shield. Now remember, he, he has a contrast here between the, the hearts of the wicked in verse 3, and now he's saying my heart. So he said their hearts are full of malice, they're wicked, but he says my heart, what? My heart trusts in him, and I'm helped. You see, when, when we put our heart in his hands, we're helped. He says, therefore, therefore my heart celebrates, right? He, and, and listen, this is not like a memoir that David is like, I'm going to write this down as a recipe card for people to figure this out one day. I would go really slow so they can get it and kind of ease their way into it and practice these things until they're perfect. David is the type of passionate guy that's just like bubbles over. 
And when we see the psalm written, it's like, here's my heart. Here's who I am. I'm, I'm responding to God's grace. I'm responding to God's word. I'm responding to God as my rock. I want people to know. And he writes it down. And when he talks about worship here, he talks about praise and celebrating. This is actually like a in-the-moment moment, like right now, overflowing celebration in his heart. And that's how we should be too. We should be able to trust God with our heart. Say, God, my heart trusts in you and I'm helped. And my, then, then my heart celebrates. It bubbles up. It, it, it rejoices exuberantly. And in that rejoicing, so here's my heart. He's guarding my heart and taking care of my heart, and it starts to bubble up. But out of that bubble, bubble and, and, and filling, it overflows, and it goes into the next part. My heart celebrates, and I, what? Give thanks with my song. You see, when we come with a worship, it might just be all emotion, and like, oh my goodness, this is so great for my heart. But God's like, hey, heart and, heart and mind here. Let's, let's, let's connect that. You're, you're, something's going on in your heart. It's awesome. And God's, God's done something. And you, you're, your heart's been helped because you're trusting in Him and your heart's celebrating. But when you praise, when you offer your praise, you do it connecting that to the mind saying, I'm going to give thanks. I know I've got something to be thankful for. I'm going to give thanks to Him. He's the one. It's just not some kind of emotional outburst. It's a connection between the heart and the mind because God is guarding our heart and mind and He's renewing our heart and our mind. And it's so important to overflow with praise to God, in confident praise to God because, he's what he's, because of what he's done to the heart and with the mind. See, David, in this way, he can't help but sing. I want to take a, take a trip down memory lane, COVID lane, and maybe we're still going on another COVID, I don't know. Let's just go back in time. This reminds me of something that really, of all the things that, that COVID brought on, this, this is probably where my heart hurt the most. And uh, it wasn't about you, it was about me and probably us. But the first, the first 13 weeks, we shut down and just did this, me and Alistair on the screen, going back and forth and chasing people just kind of putting live streams out. It was pretty empty in here. It was pretty, pretty gl- like a gleam, or not gleam, uh, gloomy, right? It was hard to be excited. But I love the Lord. And we did it. We did what we could to participate as citizens. And, and then, then we were allowed to come back. We had, had to sit, you know, six feet apart, and we wore masks. And, and, but then, then this, something happened that I just, this is the one I couldn't shake. They said, by the way, when you do gather, if you do gather in those, in those regards, you cannot sing. Don't you dare sing. That hurt my heart. It, because... When, when we have this confidence in the Lord, the Word of God says that there's going to be a song that we're to sing, that, that we can't help but singing, right? I can help by, I can put a mask on, I can, I can help by social distancing and not shaking your hand for a little while, right? But I, I can't help but sing. So we sing because that's what we're called to do. We're called to worship our God, and, and we should sing from the overflow of a heart that's been taken care of. And we should sing from the mind that is thankful for what God has done. So when we come to worship, it shouldn't be this really crazy emotional experience. It should be emotions informed by God's, God being the rock. And that, that emotion of Him being a rock stirs in us and connects with a thankfulness in our mind and our heart as God, uh, as God guards it. And then we, then we overflow with thanksgiving and praise and, and, and an elevation of who God is. And, and, and even those songs then resonate back and forth to one another. We sing songs to one another for one another's benefit. That's, that's the heart of the gathering together in worship, that you and I would be edified and God would be glorified through what is done.
So it was very, very difficult when we couldn't sing or were told not to sing. We could not obey that. We cannot help but sing because He is the one that guards our hearts and minds. We see this in Philippians chapter 4. We talk, we talk about the idea of our worries and our fears or our anxieties, our despair, depression. Paul encourages this. He said, don't worry about anything. That's, that's all-encompassing, right? It's really difficult, but it's all-encompassing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, so every situation, every worry, every, every anxiety, everything that you could be upset about, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. You see there, there's confident prayer and there's petition and there's thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. Cast your cares on Him, right? And it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and what? Your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise we have. And, and that should inform confident praise from us that God is guarding our heart and our mind. That God is doing a work in us as we yield ourselves in a posture of prayer and in a posture of praise to Him. God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. I, I want to read a psalm, Psalm 68. Um, I think Cheryl, actually, you shared this this week, Cheryl, over here. And I, I saw it, I'm like, I need, to, I need to use this. Psalm 68, verse uh, 19, goes so amazing with this today. There's a praise. It says, blessed be the Lord. We praise Him. He is the the blessed one. It says, day after day, day after day, He bears our burdens. God is our salvation. Selah. Selah. Remember, think about that. Let that sink in. Blessed be the Lord. Praise God. We we offer confident praise to Him. Why? Because day after day, He bears our our burdens. And God Himself is our salvation salvation. See, we're confident that He is our rock, and then we can overflow with praise to Him. Finally, number three, our confidence in the Lord was one, for, uh, in prayer, two, in praise, three, for provision. For provision. We, we are confident in the Lord's provision for us. Look at verses 8 and 9 back at Psalm 28. It says, the Lord is the strength of His people. He is a stronghold of salvation for His anointed. Save your people. Bless your possession. Shepherd them and carry them forever. An amazing end to this. It's like, it's like the chorus of David's song. It's like, sing this, know this, believe this, trust this. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is a stronghold of salvation for His anointed. Save your people. Bless your possession. Shepherd them and carry them forever. These are those, that's the provision. This is what God's providing right here for His people. What is it? That He's going to save them. That he's offering rescue, he's offering hope, he's offering salvation. Then it says, bless your possession, that that we are going to be blessed. We're going to have the peace that that transcends understanding, no no matter the circumstances. There may be times he even blesses us with victory and comfort. There may be times we're in the middle of despair, but he blesses us with peace and joy and hope because he is the God of salvation, the God that saves people. So he's providing salvation. He's providing us with this blessing of peace and hope. He says, shepherd them. He's going to provide himself as a shepherd. Listen, we're the dumb sheep, he's the shepherd. We need him. And I mentioned last week, go, go back and read and study Psalm 23. Holy cow, we need him. And, and that it's not that we need him, God, just, just reach out and pick me up and take me out, out, out of this valley. He says, no, no, no. What, what we need him as a shepherd is, 
is though I walk through the valley, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and staff are comforting me in the valley of the shadow of death. Our comfort is that he's a shepherd. He's provided himself as a shepherd. He's like, it's going to get dark. I'm there. It's going to get rocky. I'm there. It's going to get hard in life. I'm there. It's going to get tempting in life. I'm there. I am going to shepherd you. And then he says, and the provision he has, he's going to carry you forever. He's going to carry you forever. What's the promise? He will never leave you or forsake you. When you are in Christ, he will never leave you or forsake you. And, and, and we think about the, the footprints in the sand we're, we're probably all familiar with. Those times you thought, where was God? I see one set of footprints. He was the one walking with you on his back. He carried you. He took care of you that way. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 63. We're done there in Psalm 28. I want to read uh, quite, a, quite a good passage here, 7 through 14 together. And I want us to see this, this, the provision, that what, what God provides, and how David has this confidence in what God provides also. He knew this about God. Verse 7 of, of Isaiah 63. It says, I will make known the Lord's faithful love. And the Lord's praiseworthy act. So I'm going to proclaim these out. That's part of my praise, right? Why? Because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things He has done for the house of Israel, which He did for them based on His compassion and the abundance of His faithful love. So we, we start there. That everything God is doing and how God provides for us is always in line with his covenant love for his people, his steadfast love, his faithful love for you and I, that he is pursuing you with his grace, pursuing you in his truth, but pursuing you towards him to be his very own possession. And he goes on in verse 8, they are indeed my people. There you go, my possession. They're my people, children who will not be disloyal. And he became what? Their savior. So he made us a people. He became our savior out of his compassion and love. In our suffering, he says, in their suffering, he suffered. Do you realize that when you're suffering, God is suffering? When you grieve, God grieves. That's part of identifying with you and being able to, to be empathetic with you. He, he was a suffering servant after all, Jesus. He says, and the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them. There's redemption to be had. He's making new, bringing beauty from ashes because of, again, his love and compassion. He lifted them up and he carried them. Again, that's part of his provision. He's carrying us. And all the days, all the days of the past. But they rebelled. Oh dear. Here's the but, right? They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now I underline this next part as a part of God's provision. It's very important to understand it. They rebelled and grieved his spirit, so he became their enemy and fought against them. This goes back to God is holy. That God God does not tolerate sin. And that's part of the provision, right? Remember earlier we talked about, he's not that kind of God that's like, oh, I'm just going to be chill and everything's good and you're doing your best, so I'll see you at the end of time. Fist bump. That's not who he is. He's the God of the universe who says, I want you to be my people, a people from my own possession, a people who look like me and who obey me and are in relationship with me. So when they're not, it says we're enemies of God and God fights against that. He fights against them. Why? Because we're fighting against him. Guess who's going to win that fight, by the way? 
not you. God is going to win that fight. So don't fight against him anymore. Stop your fighting. Know that he is God. Turn to him in faith and have peace because of what he has accomplished. And know that we talked about this earlier. He became their enemy and fought against them, but he provided a way for us to be in right relationship with him through the sacrifice on the cross. That God's wrath against God's enemies was placed on Jesus so that you and I could believe and be saved. We could believe and be forgiven. So he's not the kind of hippie, new age, chill Jesus that people want him to be. He is a God to be feared and a God to be honored and a God to be believed, but a God that is rich and compassionate in love for us. He also, we know, disciplines the ones he loves. That's part of his provision for us. David knew that. David knew that when I'm, when I'm in the wrong, when I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, I know that God's going to deal with me. And, and we don't like that all the time, but, it, but it's part of provision. Scriptures say about parents, right, that, that we're, we're to discipline our children. If we spare the rod, we hate. No, the Scripture says if we spare the rod, we hate the child. Let that sink in for a few minutes. Right? The rod of discipline is so important. It means that we love and care for our children. And we're not talking about like beating versus not. or that's, It's just dis, the rod of discipline. Helping our children be disciplined. It's important to know that we don't, we're not passive. It's important for us to know that God's not passive with our discipline either. Then he remembered the days of the past and the days of Moses and his people. Um, where is he who brought them out of the sea and uh, who shepherds his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flocks? These are gifts that God provisions for his people. He made his glorious strength available. Another provision at the right hand of Moses. He divided the water before them. Another provision uh, to make an eternal name for himself and led them through the depths. God provided, leading them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they would not stumble. Another provision like cattle that go down in the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Another provision. See, no wonder David was confident in the provision of the Lord. I mean, a lot of what we see in this Isaiah passage, we see in Psalm 23 and a lot of the Psalms that David has written. The last part of this uh, this passage in Isaiah is, is really important. You led your people this way, right? You made provision for your people. You did this for your people to make a glorious name for yourself. We ought to be in awe of God. And as we are in awe of God, and as we rest in God, as we trust in God, as we have confidence in the Lord for the provision He provides, that ought to be seen and evident in our lives, and we ought to be boasting about Him and what He's done. People should see the difference the provision of God has, been, has made in our lives and the confidence that we have because of that provision. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11 say, See, the Lord God comes with strength. And his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his rewards accompany him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. Essentially, we're all at different places in our, our faith, aren't we? But he's taking care of the needs of us all. And that should be something worth boasting about. 1 Peter chapter 2, this is our final passage today. It's going back to our Strangers and Exiles series. But I think it's really important for us to understand this provision of God, what He's done. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, so that you might proclaim the praises. Now listen, He's, he's done this for us. He's provided this for us, that we would be His people, 
so that we would proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's, that's the greatest provision we could ever hope for, is the mercy and grace of God, that we would become a people for his own possession by the mercy and grace of God, and that we would proclaim the praises and the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, here's, here's the neat thing with these three points, right? There's confidence in prayer, and confidence in praise, and confidence for the provision of God. See, as we, as we are confident in the provision of God, you know what this helps us do? It helps us be confident that we can go to the rock in prayer, so knowing God's provision, knowing that he's been mighty to save, knowing that he has given us mercy and grace and that he's made us his own people should, should help us to, to go to God confidently in prayer. But, it, but that also should, as we pray, we, we remember and we know who, who we're praying to and, and we remember that he's the one who's called us and that we then can proclaim confidently the excellencies. We, we have confidence in praise. And as praise begins again, bubbling up, God's guarding our heart and our mind. We, we bubble up and we give thanksgiving for the provision of God. And that leads us back to prayer and praise and provision and prayer and praise and provision. You say that 10 times fast, it'll be a tongue twister. But that's what God is doing. And we can have confidence in the Lord. See, He has promised Himself. And in His provision, we should be confident in prayer, in praise, and have a continued confidence that He is the God that provides all that we need. Amen? Why don't you stand together with me as we pray and continue to worship the Lord. Father, we are so thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy. We're thankful that you, you are a God who has provided for us. You're a holy God. And God, you aren't, you aren't sweeping things under the rug. You are just, you're holy, you're perfect, you're pure. And we, we trust you with that. We thank you for that. We thank you that you provided a way that, that although we once were not a people, we we can be a people, as you've called us to be a people for your own possession by faith in Christ. And God, we were once a people who did not have mercy. We were under your wrath, but God, through faith in Christ, we have received mercy. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can stand before you righteous and pure because of faith in Christ. God, help that inform our prayer. May we confidently, boldly, with a, even with a posture of humility, come to you in prayer, yielding ourselves to you because we're confident that you are our rock. And God, may that lead to a confident praise, overflowing with a gratitude because, God, you have met the needs of our heart, you have changed our heart, and you have guarded our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus, and we want to bring thanksgiving to you as an offering. And God, that we have confidence in the provision of God that you will continue to provide You'll continue to hear our prayer and you will continue to provide. You will be the rock of our salvation, even disciplining us when we need it and drawing us back into fellowship with you. We thank you for that. We commit the rest of our time to you now as we worship, as we overflow from our heart with an attitude and mind of thanksgiving. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.